You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. Our theme is all in. Since God has gone all in for me, I am all in for God. And thinking about this morning's message, I've been thinking a lot about flying, not like me flying, but like flying, you know, like private aircraft, commercial airlines. I've had the privilege of being in several private airplanes where you're kind of sitting in the airplane, you get to watch everything that's going on and actually have a headset on and be able to listen to what is happening between the pilot and air traffic control. And I love those experiences. Very cool to be flying in private aircraft. I'm fascinated by all of that. Uh, Also this summer, especially, uh, found myself on commercial airliners a lot with the ministry trips that we took with the student ministry uh, and going to Asia, ending up in Cambodia and Myanmar, uh, found myself uh, in airports, a lot of airports, and logging a lot of hours actually sitting in a plane seat. And in thinking about all of that, uh, there's so much to flying, whether you're in a private aircraft, watching all of the stuff that happens around flying before the flight ever takes place, the equipment, the instrumentation, the the aircraft itself, the, the processes, the procedures, and then commercial flying, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff around that too. The planning and uh, the preparation and uh, just so much uh, that goes into flying. And it's a lot. If you really think about all of the different aspects of flying, there's so many things involved with it. And it all centers around one very simple, very simple question. Where to? Where are you going? Rarely will you run into somebody in an airport that does not have the answer to that question. It'd be shocking, actually. You can be in a huge airport, so much commotion, so much hubbub, and though it looks like chaos, most people in an airport are moving with great intentionality. They know exactly where they're going, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a traveler in an airport and just grab somebody by the arm and say, hey, where to? You're gonna get an answer. You're not generally gonna find somebody that's like, you know, That's a great question. Not really sure. You know, packed all my stuff, came here, and I just figured I'd figure it out, you know? You're not going to find that in airports. And uh, generally, because you have to have that decided way before you ever show up to the airport, uh, you're looking at reservation, booking reservations online. There's money changing hands. And, and honestly, you're not even going to get past security in this day and age unless you have an answer to that question of where to and you have something uh, to prove that that is your intention. Uh, you state your intentions by buying a ticket and by producing that ticket and showing it to somebody. And that question is answered. Now, there's this American, it's become an American cultural idiom, and it's used a lot as an expression. It actually comes from uh, an Old Testament concept and an Old Testament story, and maybe you've heard the term promised land, and it comes from the Bible, comes from the Old Testament, but we also use it culturally to describe an awesome place that we want to go, an awesome place that we want to end up. We want to end up in the promised land, the place of health, fulfillment, reward. If you're going on vacation, your promised land is wherever you hope to unpack your bags and settle in and be where you want to be. And so we use that term of promised land to describe a place that we all want to go. And I think that term resonates 
because we all really do want to be in some kind of promised land. We all hope to get to and achieve certain things in life. We want to feel fulfilled. We want to be in a place of health. We want to be in a place of peace and joy. And we're hoping that the decisions we make and the, the direction that we head in, the ticket we buy, we're hoping it will lead us to the promised land. Now, where that gets complicated for humans in general is there is a lot of discussion about what the promised land is. Some people define it as this, and some, uh, some people define it as that. And then the other discussion, in quotes, that takes place around this idea of the promised land is what's the best way to get there? And who knows what the best way to get there is? So how do I get where I should go? I should be in this place that we would call the promised land, a place of peace, fulfillment, health, purpose, intentionality, but how do I get where I should go? So as we do many times on a Sunday morning before we open God's word, uh, we want to invite the Holy Spirit to help us with what we're reading and what we're thinking about. And uh, ultimately, we desperately need God's help to understand what he wants us to understand and to be able to move in the direction he wants us to head. So let's, let's take a moment and ask him to help us. God, this is your word. We believe that these scriptures were handed down uh, directly because you wanted us to have these. And so uh, we want to understand what you want us to understand from what we read this morning. Help us to think. Help us to process this. And Holy Spirit, we ask that more than just leaving here understanding something, that you would give us the strength, the inspiration, the motivation to actually do something with what we come to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So how do I get where I should go? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start by looking at verses 1 through 3. And these are some pivotal statements that God makes uh, through his servant Moses in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, to a people that he had reached out to, to reveal himself and to try to use them to reach all of humanity. And we'll find that, and I think you'll find if you read scriptures, which I, I hope that you've gotten into the habit of doing that and you're trying to learn about God and digging into the Bible for yourself, um, that God is always trying to reach out to us. He's trying to reveal himself. He's trying to make himself known. And he's trying to make his ways known, his direction known to us. And so I want to ask that as we read this, we're going to be in this Old Testament, ancient literature kind of looking at this stuff, but if you can, if you have enough knowledge to, and if your mind can do this, see if you can also overlay the metaphor of flying in whatever context you understand that to be. And whether you are a frequent flyer, maybe you've heard a lot about it, uh, certainly we understand something about it. So see if you can kind of keep that metaphor in there and just let that metaphor go crazy in your minds. Um, that's kind of what I'm going to be doing here as we look at Deuteronomy 6 and uh, Matthew 22. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, God has delivered his people from a land of slavery and bondage, and he has used his servant Moses to speak to the people, try to reach them and guide them, and he's now uh, trying to communicate some things about them, uh, to them, about the direction they should go and where he wants to lead them. So that's the kind of the framework for Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's take a look at verses 1 <clears throat> through 3. Moses says, <clears throat> these are the commands the decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. 
and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. I think when I read that, I see God painting a picture of a destination. Um, It's almost kind of like the picture in the brochure, the place you browse online when you're researching a destination. He's trying to, to paint a picture about the destination that he wants to lead them to. He wants to take them to a place of fulfillment. He wants to take them to a place of health, and he's providing a vision of what that looks like. Before they ever set out, before he ever goes into all the details about how to get there, it's an idea that God has this place for them to go to. And it's not just a picture, it's not just an encouragement, it's not just an inspiration, it's also a warning, it's kind of both. That there's this awesome destination that I want to bring you to if you'll head in my direction. And If you follow my directions, if you head in my direction, you will end up in this destination. But if you don't, if you don't head in my direction, if you choose not to, you won't end up in the promised land, in this place of health and peace that I have planned for you, that I created for you to be, and you won't end up there. So it's a picture and a warning. And so it poses this question in the minds of everyone who's listening to Moses, what are you going to choose? You know, so if if we're buying a ticket or if you're a private pilot, at some point we have to choose a heading. Where am I going to point my life? Before the plane is ever started, before the wheels ever leave the ground, there has to be a moment of decision about the direction that we want to head. What course will we chart? What heading will you set? What flight plan will you file? And we need to file a flight plan. No pilot jumps into a plane and just takes off. There are days sometimes involved in this process of what is the flight plan going to be? And they file that flight plan and they make their intentions known. And so there's this moment here where he's encouraging them, here's this awesome destination and I want you to file a flight plan that's going to lead you there. I want you to buy a ticket. I want you to plan to head in this direction that I have for you, a direction that will take you to me, but it's also the direction that I have planned for you to go. It's my direction. And there are some unfun words here, at least to me, in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. If you look, you see decrees, laws, commands that he's teaching you to observe. And I think we hear that, it's a little bit deflating. I don't think think those are exciting words for anybody, but here's the deal. If you're getting on a commercial airliner, do you want a pilot that follows the rules, or do you want one that's like, fly by the seat of your pants. You know, I, I picked this up, watched some YouTube videos. Like, I'm just really in it for the excitement and the fun. I want to be free. That's why I'm sitting in here. We'll figure it out when we get up there. I'm sure this can't be too complicated. You're not going to want to be on that plane. And if you're sitting next to a private pilot, you want to be sitting there with someone who has put in the hard work. You want them to have had hours, weeks, months of very unfun, harsh, disciplined things where they're frightened a little bit and have to learn what to do in emergency situations. You want the pilot that obeys the rules, the one who knows how to fly the plane, or you're not getting on that plane. And I think to think about it that way, it makes sense that this whole idea of heading in God's direction is learned. It's a learned thing. It's not natural. It's not intuitive to us. And in order to head in God's direction, we have to learn some things. So heading in God's direction, when we say we want to head in God's direction, Really, it's an agreement to learn a different way of living. We look at God, we say, you know what? I I think the destination you have is best. 
I think that you know best where I'm going to head, and I agree that I need to submit to learning something that's a little bit counterintuitive, that's different to me. It's a different way of living. So heading in God's direction is submitting to some learning, and that's where the decrees, laws, and commands come into place. So looking at this as well, there's also, and I think not just these verses, but most of scripture, and especially what we're looking at today, it's unavoidable. So much of the language here is communal language. It's a group language. When God speaks, he's speaking to a group of people that are in relationship with each other, and the direction that they head affects everyone around them. And so there's this idea that Heading in God's direction isn't just good for you, it's best for everyone on board. And we think about our lives as flying, and maybe we're the pilot, or maybe we're just on board. There are people on board with us. There always are. There's always someone on board, whether that be your kids or your parents, your family, the people you live with, your neighbors, the people in tight-knit relationships. But honestly, it's really everyone in the world. If you just keep broadening it out, the way we go, the direction we head, the choices we make, The flight plan we fly affects everyone. And I think that's illustrated with the very poignant question that I've heard a lot of times in preaching, and rightfully so. If you were to say, if everyone headed in the direction that you're headed in, in the whole world, what would the world look like? Well, then it makes sense that, man, you know, it really does make a difference where we head. And it really does affect the world, the choices we make, and the way we posture ourselves, the the direction that we take in our life really does affect everybody. And it's like God is waving his hands, constantly waving his hands going, heading in my direction is gonna be best for everyone that's on board the flight of your life. When you make good decisions, when you head in my direction, the way that I've outlined for you, it's gonna be better for everybody. And that's so clear here. He talks about families and generations, generations to come, generations that we don't even know or can't even see yet. It really is that big of a deal, God's saying. Heading in my direction really does matter that much. And it's a corporate thing. It's a together thing. There is a flight crew. Every life has a flight crew. It's a team endeavor. It's a community endeavor. It's a group endeavor. And it's important for us to realize that it's not a solo thing. This following Jesus thing, this heading in God's direction thing. It's not supposed to be something we do just by ourselves. So that leads us to Deuteronomy 6.4. One verse here that actually for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people, for, for the, the people of God in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4 was a really important verse for them. It was a community shaping verse for them. So much of what they talked about and they would even say that their faith hinged on was Deuteronomy 6.4. It was such a big deal, this one verse, that they actually gave it a name. They called it the Shema. That was, that was what they referred to it as. And Shema, very simply, is just the Hebrew uh, word for the first word in the sentence, the word hear. So they called it, they felt the need to label this verse because so much of their identity as people, they felt like was wrapped up in this one verse, Deuteronomy 6.4. So with, with all that buildup, here it is. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. Sounds very clean, very simple. And the bedrock really was in several pieces of this. The here part wasn't just here. It wasn't just about listening and understanding something. Here, here, 
See what I did there? Here implied more than just words going in the ears. Here actually implied doing. So if you hear, if you really hear, you're going to act. Hearing implied obeying. Hearing implied heeding. Hearing implied loving, responding to God revealing himself. So God says, here I am, I'm God. That here would reply, okay, you're going to respond now to what you have just seen and heard, that God is who he is. And then to go on, it says, here, O Israel. O Israel, again, there's that community facet. This was not a solo endeavor. It wasn't about just one or two people. This is about a community. And so that's how it was, was defined as a we as a people. This is who we are. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, you're looking at a group of people that were surrounded by all these different countries and different, different lands and different people. It's like God is saying here that there's one God and I'm him. It's, there's not many gods. There aren't a whole bunch of gods, one for every kind of people. Like I'm telling you that I'm the one God and I'm talking to you and so much so that I'm revealing who I am to you. So the, the word Lord, though, you, you'll notice in a lot of English translations is all capitalized. It's because it's a special Hebrew word for his name. He actually said, this is who I am. So he had revealed himself very specifically and uniquely to the people of Israel saying, this is what defines you as a people. You are the people that I have chosen to reveal myself to. You are not defined by your ethnicity. You're not defined by what land you live in. You are defined by the fact that I have chosen to reveal myself to you in order that you can be a blessing to the whole world. I want to, I want to speak to you and then work through you to bless the whole world. And this is who you are as a people. This is what defines you is you're the people I have chosen to speak to. And hopefully you're the people that are defined not by all these other things, but the ones who respond. The people of God who respond to who God is. That's why that verse was, was such a big deal to them. There's so much meaning packed in there. So it's almost like here are all these decrees and here are the place, here are the, here's the place I want to lead you, but stop for a second. Heading in whose direction? Whose direction? What's this, this flight plan, this heading, these decrees and laws? Who are they coming from? The one God. The one the one voice you should listen to. God's saying, yes, here's an awesome picture. Yes, here's a way of living. And you need to understand that I'm the one that gets to determine all of this. Because I made you. I know how you're supposed to live. I know where you're supposed to go. I know where I want to take you. I am the one true God. So when you're ever wondering, why am I going this way? Why am I listening to this? Why am I flying in this direction? Where did this come from? Whose instructions were these? Whose words were these? God's saying, never forget that it's me who's talking to you. I am your God, the one God. The implications of that affect almost every part of our lives. So in the flight metaphor, it's like he's saying, if you're gonna listen to any voice that comes across that radio, you better make sure you're listening to mine. Because I am the aircraft, uh, air traffic controller. I am the one voice. Of all the voices you'll hear in your life every day when you get up, of all of the different competing ways of life, of all of the things you're gonna hear this is the voice that you need to listen to when it comes to charting a direction for your life. And so it begs the question, who are you going to listen to? When the crackle and the static breaks and a voice comes through on the comms, whose voice ultimately will you trust when it comes to the decisions that you should make, what you should do with your gifts, 
what you should do with your talents, what you should do with your life, the choices you should make, who you should live for. All of these things, who will you trust? It begs that question. When we get up every day, what voice will guide us? Where will we point our life according to whose instructions? God's saying, I'm the one person you should be listening to because I'm the only one who really knows which way you should be heading. And you have a choice whether or not to listen to me. And this reminds me so much. I was reading this and I was, re- I was remembering when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and God shows up and it was this really supernatural, uh, crazy moment in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 17, verse five. And I almost, as I was reading this, the words that came to my head was like, man, I wonder if this is like a New Testament life of Jesus, Shema kind of an experience where Matthew 7, 5 um, says while he was uh, seventeen five while he was still speaking a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased listen to him listen to him he understands he knows I sent him this is God so you need to pay attention to what he's saying this this moment that God says who are you going to listen to. How will you direct your life and according to what? Whose precepts, whose decrees? Because we're all following somebody's laws. We're all obeying somebody's decrees. God says, if you obey mine, it's going to take you to the best destination. So we get to Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and more very uh, pivotal verses in the Old Testament that really defined the people of God. Deuteronomy 6, 5, uh, through verse 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's like he's saying, I don't care if you got to use sticky notes, set alarms on your phone, tie a string around your finger. This is a big deal, guys. When it comes to the direction that your life is heading, you got to get your heading into your heads. It's not good enough that it's someone else's flight plan. It's not good enough that someone told you to head that way. It's not good enough that you just trust the onboard computer and not pay attention. You have got to get this heading into your heads. You have to own this direction for your life and you have to be fully engaged. And the truth is, pilots do this. You know, if the computers go out or if things aren't cooperating right, they have to know how to actually fly that plane. They have to study the flight plan. I don't think you're going to meet a pilot that hasn't looked at the flight plan and doesn't understand exactly where they're going. They have to spend hours and sometimes even days looking over that flight plan, seeing where all the airports are, looking at the map, understanding airspace and what those things all mean. It's a, it's a very complicated procedure and it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of study. And it's like God is saying, this is so important. You can't just fly by the seat of your pants. You've got to take this and own it and get it into yourselves because it's not intuitive to us. Flying in the direction, heading in God's direction is something we have to be focused on and we have to commit our time and our energy and our mental ability. We have to focus and we have to be very intentional about this when it comes to heading in God's direction. He doesn't say, just get it into your, your head, but get it into your heads, get it into your family. Make sure your kids know where to go. I I guarantee you as well, when you get on a commercial airliner, probably everybody wearing a uniform in that plane knows exactly where 
you're going. They know what the stops are. They understand all the ins and outs of these things. And so we, we look at this, get your heading into your heads, this whole idea of flying, you say, well, okay, well, if you're on a commercial airliner, you can just jump on that airline. You're not flying. It's kind of easy, right? Well, if you've ever traveled, especially internationally, there's a lot of stuff you got to know. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I travel, uh, I've tra- traveled multiple times with a friend of mine named Tony, and he travels internationally so much. And you watch him, it's like, he's like a machine. Like he, uh, he knows all the airports, he knows the secret places to like stop. He's got all the apps on his phone. He's got stuff going off. He knows where to go. He knows all the tricks. He understands things. And so it's like, dude, I want to travel with him, you know? Because he understands the whole process of flying. He has it all in his head. He knows what transit hotels we're stopping at and the pricing of everything. He's listening, he's paying attention. And, and if you've traveled internationally, it's why you can't just jump on an airplane. It's why our missions team, we had to sit and like talk about what the customs forms look like and we had to like pay attention. We had to know where the, the stops were and know where we were going and be able to, you know, we're walking with kids in an airport. We said, you, if you get separated from the group, you've got to be able to find your way around. You have to be able to read signs. You have to understand what's happening around you. You've got to get this into your heads. You've got to own your own itinerary. You've got to know where your tickets are. You've got to know where your passport is. You've got to get your heading into your heads. It's a learned thing that takes time and it's a commitment of ourselves to be able to say, no, I'm willing to do this. And we're responsible for the people flying with us. And I remember Shelly and I, when, we would, when the kids were little, we'd be going through an airport, we'd be asking the kids questions, like, can you know where we're going? Can you read the signs? And it's like he's saying, like, you need to impress this on your kids. You need to make sure that the people around you understand this stuff. So make sure it's not just in your head, but who else are you responsible for to make sure the heading of God's plan for their lives is in their heads? I'm responsible for the people in my house, I feel like. I gotta make sure they understand which way God wants them to head. And there are other people that God has given us influence and responsibility over, and we need to take that seriously. And he's saying, do whatever it takes, man. I don't care if you need to paint it on your door frames, tie it around your feet, tattoo it on your forehead, whatever it takes, it's this important. God's saying, this is so important. Your heading is so desperately important. Do whatever it takes to remind yourself to stay focused in the right direction. And if you look throughout all of scripture, I think a lot of the, the religious rituals that we practice really come from this idea that we shouldn't forget stuff. So sometimes we as humans, we turn religious rituals into these things we feel like we need to do to uh, somehow elicit a response from God or whatever. But really, I think the root of religious ritual is don't forget Do these things over and over so that you don't forget what's really important and whose direction you should be heading. And that's the power. If there's any power in religious ritual, repetitive religious ritual, it's to help us not to lose our focus in a world that is is so distracting, where there's so many mixed messages coming from. We remind ourselves of what's important and the direction we should be heading. Don't forget. We go to the New Testament, book of Matthew, chapter 22, and Jesus is interacting with these religious leaders of the law, and they would test him with questions and try to to see what he was made out of. And in Matthew 22, uh, verses 35 through around 40, says that an expert in the law tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' reply would have satisfied them and and made them pretty happy. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we read that, I think, as Westerners, as Americans, and and maybe a little bit different of a way than people of other times and maybe even other cultures read it. I think we, as, as Westerners, as Americans, I think that we sometimes struggle with this idea of loving because we see it primarily as feeling and emotion. When we hear the word love, when we read it, we read emotion and feeling. And that's like one cylinder of an eight-cylinder car. Love has way more cylinders than that. Love is much bigger than just primarily emotion and feeling. And I think when we read it primarily through a lens of feeling, we can't really do this properly and we can't understand really what it means if we're just thinking about emotions when we think about love. And I don't think that that's the way that um, the, the people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people of the Old Testament, I don't think they understood love as primarily an emotional thing. And I also don't think that Jesus hears would have understood it primarily as emotion. So it takes some effort for us to really ask the question, well, what does love really mean? If it's not primarily feeling, if, 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 it's, if it's not just a, a one-cylinder engine, then what more is there to this concept of love? If we view love as a decision to engage, we're getting closer. Love is a decision to engage all of who we are based on Knowledge based on belief in what is true. So we grasp truth and we make a decision to engage the parts of who we are. Love is primarily a decision to engage and to act a certain way. And usually we interpret it as being in a relationship. Love is a decision to engage in a relationship based on knowledge and based on a belief in what is true. And so then we decide, okay, I am going to now love this person. Marriages don't work adequately if it's just based on feeling, nor do our relationships with everyone else. We have to see it as a multifaceted thing. Love is a decision to engage, to relationally engage, to direct our will, to direct our mind, to direct our heart based on who God is, what he has done, and what is true about God. And when we take those things combined, our response then is love. Based on who God is, based on what he has done for me, based on what is true, I will now love God. I will now respond and I will now relationally commit. I am deciding to commit myself to this relationship. And that's what we do when we come to God. Loving him is a decision to commit. And it does start with just an internal An internal switch that flips. The filing of a flight plan. The stating of our intentions. That's what baptism is. Baptism is a statement of our intentions based on the acknowledgement of what God has done for us, who he is, and what is true. A statement of where we intend to set our heading. So loving is like getting into the cockpit and starting the engines of our will and our emotions and everything that we are. When he says heart, soul, mind, strength, it's like all the invisible parts of who we are, all of the tangible physical parts of who we are, everything we are, it's a decision to commit all of that 
to moving in God's direction. It's like I have this vision of a F-14 Tomcat sitting on the, on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. It's not moving, but the, the engines are lit and bright. You can see the orange in there, and you can see the, the, the hook is engaged, and the thing is right there ready to just take off at any second. That is the moment. There's a decision to be made. The engines are on. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm heading. It's a huge Top Gun fan, so that's why that comes, comes, <laughs> comes to my mind. You can't go two directions. Jesus is saying here that heading in God's direction requires complete commitment. Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that we are. Any relationship that's going to be anything requires complete commitment. He's saying, heading in God's direction requires complete commitment. If you try to head in two directions, it's going to tear you apart. Sometimes we look at our lives and are being ripped apart, and I think it's because we're trying to head in two directions. God's saying, heading in my direction, it's going to take everything you got. All your focus, everything you are. Flying in circles gets us nowhere. Just run out of fuel and crash at some point. Head in God's direction. That's God's encouragement. It's my encouragement to you this morning. Make a decision to head in God's direction toward him, but also heading in God's direction by living the life that he's called you to live, making your decisions based on what he showed you to do. Jesus did this. If you look at the life of Jesus, his whole life was bent around heading in God's direction. Every decision he made, he was heading in God's direction, so relentlessly so, that when even his closest friends came to him and said, hey, you know, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I can't be distracted. I will go in God's direction. This is the way I'm going. I'm going there. He says he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He was bent on heading in God's direction because he knew the outcome. He trusted his relationship. He knew God. He trusted his relationship with God, and he trusted the plan and the outcome that God had set before him. And thank God that Jesus decided to head in God's direction. Because he did, we are free of our penalty of sin, because the truth is, we don't have the money to buy a ticket to get to the promised land. We don't have the money. Jesus, because he decided to head in God's direction, he paid the price for the ticket we could never buy. We always show up with way too much baggage. Sin is more baggage than we could ever pay for. So Jesus does the hard part of stripping the baggage of sin and darkness off of us, pays the price for our flight to get where God wants us to go, and all we have to do is relationally respond and commit to heading in that direction. And it's our choice to make, and he's made it as easy as possible. And so he's hoping that you'll decide and I'll decide to be all in for him. And for some of us, maybe maybe you need to adjust your flight plan. Maybe file a new flight plan. Set a course. And if you take off in God's direction, this is so important, if you take off in God's direction, he will always be on board. If you decide to take off in your direction or the world's direction, he will not be on board. Because that messes us up. God, where are you? Why aren't you blessing my life? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? Because we're not flying in his direction. He's not going to be on board. And that's why he's saying this. He doesn't say it because he doesn't want us to get there. He wants you and he wants me to get there. That's why he sent Jesus. 
Jesus, there's something so relational about all this stuff. When it comes to Jesus, when he speaks, when he says these words, it becomes so relational that God wants us to get to that destination so bad. Jesus literally came down in the dirt of this earth, waved at us and extended a human hand and said, just look at me. I can get you there. So heading in God's direction, the first step in heading in God's direction, if it's too overwhelming, if you realize I can't get there on my own, which is true, the first step in heading in God's direction is to head to Jesus and just take his hand and go from there. That's what he offers us. And I I think about it as him, him meeting us halfway. When we were too overwhelmed and too weak to get there, he sent Jesus to get right there in our face and say, just reach out your hand and take my hand. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not here to throw obstacles in your way. I'm not here to to distract you. I'm not here to mess you up. I'm here to help you because I want you to get to the promised land, which is with me and my plan for your life. And deciding to follow Jesus, deciding to head in God's direction doesn't mean clear skies. No more than your wedding day means easy times in your marriage. No more than taking the new job means that every day is going to be perfect and you're going to be skipping out of work every day. Deciding is a moment. And in that moment, you know there's going to be clouds. There's going to be turbulence. It's going to get bumpy. It's going to get dark. And in those moments, we decide every day whether we're going to head in God's direction. When we're in a black of night, so black that you look out the window of the airplane, you don't know where you are. And you have to trust the flight plan that God has told you to fly when you can't see anything around you, when you're so eclipsed by outer darkness. We have a decision to make. Will you head in God's direction? When the plane's bumpy, when the storms come and we're scared, we're nervous, we're second guessing, God's saying, head in my direction. And not only did Jesus come and die for our sin, but he sent the Holy Spirit to be like that onboard navigation system that's right there with us the whole time saying, listen to my voice, listen to my voice. I will help you. I am with you. You're not flying by yourself. God gives us all of these relational tools. Why? Because he wants us to be with him. And he wants us to get to a good place. A place of health and fulfillment and peace. Even when we can't see it ourselves. So where are you headed? As you sit here this morning, where is your life headed? Are you headed in God's direction? Are you headed in your direction? Are you flying someone else's flight plan? I want to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to respond this morning as we usually do. And, and this response time in worship in this room and the response time after you leave is, is more important than any message that's ever preached. Sermons are youth, use, useless. Preaching is useless if we don't respond to what God is saying to us. So the real value and benefit of hearing God's word is, is in the responding and in the deciding of what we're going to do. Maybe you guys have been on an airplane and you've heard this. I know I've heard it a million times. You'll be sitting on the airplane. Maybe your seatbelt is already buckled and you're already just kind of dialed out to what's going on around you. And you hear sometimes one of the flight attendants will get on the intercom and you'll hear through the intercom. This flight is headed to Los Angeles. If you are on this flight and that is not your final destination, you need to talk to a flight attendant. It's like that last minute kind of understanding that despite all the stuff that goes into flying, somehow, you know, they wouldn't say it unless it happens. Somehow, some way, you might have ended up on this flight 
and you're not going to the right place. I think of Sunday mornings, I think of moments like this as those times where we're sitting down and God's going, hey, I think you're on the wrong flight. I think you're on the wrong flight. You want to you adjust your course? You want to make a decision to get headed in the right direction? Now's your opportunity to decide what you're going to do. For some, if you're sitting there and you're like, you feel, you, you feel sm- you're like smiley in that moment, you're like, yeah, that's exactly where I'm going. I'm going to St. Louis. It's a great feeling, you know? I'm where I'm, where I'm supposed to be. Sunday mornings can be kind of like that too. It's like, I'm going exactly where I need to go. And I feel affirmed. This is where I'm committed to being. So this morning for you, what does it mean to head in God's direction? And from this point forward, how will you posture yourself? Maybe you're here this morning and your response is, Jesus, I want to head in your direction. I want to go in God's direction. I want to start a relationship with you. And that's a prayer you can pray this morning before one step is ever taken on the path. What you decide in here matters to him. And you can decide today to follow him. If you're here today and you're sitting in a seat and maybe you don't even know how, all how it happened, but for some reason you're not heading in God's direction, you're on the wrong flight and you look back and you remember a day when you were heading in God's direction, but for some reason you're sitting here today and your prayer to God is, God, forgive me because somehow I ended up flying a different direction. I need to make a course correction. I need to adjust my heading. I need a different flight plan. And I need you to help me with that. Forgive me for getting off course. Help me to get back on track. Maybe you're here this morning and you're surrounded by dark. The plane's getting bumpy and you're struggling and you're wondering, is this really the way God wants me to go? Is this really the plan he has for me? And your prayer is, Holy Spirit, help me to stay the course. Help me to stay the course I set on the day of my baptism. Help me to stay the course the day I first talked to you and committed my life to you, the day I trusted in who you were. Help me to stay the course this week, despite the darkness, the turbulence, the clouds, the storms. Help me to stay the course by the power of your Spirit. Speak to me so that I don't lose control and head in the wrong direction. God, I pray you would hear every prayer prayed in this place today. And as we respond, as some get up and come forward to pray with a prayer partner, as some sit and think, as some use these worship songs as prayer response, as we leave here thinking and praying and deciding, I pray you would be in all of that, that you would hear our prayers and the Holy Spirit, you would empower, you would empower us to head in your direction, not just as individuals, but also corporately as a people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.